1: Welcome to the Habitat
0: Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management,
2: hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Hees. Welcome back, everybody, to the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Hees, and we have another great episode for you. Thank you so much to the listeners for tuning in once again. This is episode number 72 with Charlie Morse from Morse Nursery. Now, guys charlie's been on the show before episode 38 and i urge you to go back and listen to that episode uh, to hear all about tree planting techniques and a bunch of tips and tricks that i needed to know before i planted my trees but he is back again he is a new partner of the podcast and we have him on here tonight talking about the following Uh, his nursery and how it compares to a certain garden center uh, specifically when to order trees a lot of people want to order trees and shrubs you know in the spring and summer and fall well with a nursery you need to order them in the fall up until now uh, he's it might already be running out of some stock of some different plants so now is when to order from the nurseries like Charlie's uh, We would talk about some different types of oak trees like English oaks and some new shrubs that I've never even heard of we talk about potted trees versus bare root uh, how much to order? You know, don't get overwhelmed by ordering too many because uh, there's a lot that goes into each tree planting in terms of taking care of them properly. We talk about what types of trees to put in a food plot. Uh, you know, how to pair that with different types of shading, etc. To uh you know, and even what kind of crops to plant under your trees once you have them in there. So, guys, it's a great episode with Charlie Morse from Morse Nurseries. I urge you to check them out at morsenursery.com. Brian and I have had his trees in the ground now. I think Brian's had them in two years. I've had them in one. Our buddy Corey, who you guys hear a lot from, he's had them in a bunch of of years as well. Now a bunch of different trees. And it's just a great episode. Charlie is a great guy and full of knowledge. So we're going to get him on here right now. I also wanted to let you guys know we have our gear up on the website at habitatpodcast.com. Some hats and shirts up there if there's any new listeners that haven't heard about that yet. Go check us out. You can find all of our episodes up there as well. We also are doing some cool things on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook these days. Uh, Please leave us a good review. If you do like our content, we also send out free decals for that. So let's get into the show with Charlie Morris. Before we do that, I want to thank the rest of our sponsors. We have... Packer Max Cultipackers, the Huntwise app, Killer Food Plots, 5-2 Outdoors, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Morris Nursery, and the Habitat Hook. Guys, be sure to also check out Nick Nation at the Habitathook.com for all of your TSI and hinge cutting needs. The Habitat Hook is a great tool to do that. So without further ado, guys, I want to welcome Charlie Morris to the show. A new partner of the podcast. I urge you guys to check him out at com. And here is another great episode full of useful information. We are back, everybody, with uh, my trusty co-host, Brian Hallbley, and our special guest tonight, Charlie Morris from Morse Nurseries. How are you, Charlie? Hey, I'm great. Thanks for coming on tonight. And, Brian, how are you doing?
3: Doing real good, Jared. How are you?
2: Oh, not doing too bad. Uh, one of the three kids is in bed, so I hear the other one's clitter-clatting up top there, but uh, they'll be in bed soon, so we're getting there. Still lots of work to do tonight, but uh, thank you guys for coming on. Um, Charlie, we wanted to get you on as soon as possible and and talk to you again. We had a, a great response from the episode we did with you last year, um, episode number 38 for all those who have not listened to it yet. It was uh, one of the listener favorites, believe that. So we want to get you back on here tonight, and uh, for those who don't know, if you don't mind, please go into telling us a little bit about who you are and what you're up to these days in your nursery.
0: Okay, uh, thanks, Jared. Well, um, I've been... Married to the same girl for 47 years. I have a couple of children. Um, Avid hunter for years and years. And horticulturalist. And it's funny how when I scouted for deer, um, typically horticulturalists and hunters don't go together. Uh, But I learned that a fairly young age, it was important to take an inventory of food sources and things and where you might want to set up a tree stand. And And over the years, it really helped uh, as a hunter to to get into some good spots where you get to see a lot of deer and so on. And, and so it just came natural for me in choosing what kinds of plants we wanted to grow. Um, I was very clear on this right from the very beginning that it was going to be plants for habitat improvement. And so it just went hand in hand with how I approached my hunting for years. And so to marry the two things up that I like the most, habitat and growing plants, uh, we became more Nursery.
2: Wow. And when was that?
0: That was about 20 years ago now, Brian, um, that we decided to buy uh, property and put up the greenhouses and get out of the crop uh, end of things and built a barn and put in the irrigation. And, you know, when you get into the plant business, uh, there's a lot of infrastructure that's got to go into it. And so usually the first couple of years. It's, um, it's, uh, well, I tell my friends, I think I found um, out how to make a a large fortune in the nursery business. And they would all say, really? And I said, yes. Um, You know, I said that backwards. Uh, How to make a small fortune in the nursery business. And um, I, They'd ask, well, how's that? I said, start with a larger one because it's everything is always outgoing the first few years. So that's a little rough, but once your plants start to grow and they get some size and you've got some choices between seedlings and one- and two- and three-year-old plants, it it starts to get better.
2: That's a, Yeah, that's a cool story. I think like, like a lot of businesses, uh, you know, not everybody just takes off off the ground, and especially one like you where you have to grow your inventory, you know.
0: Yeah, yep.
2: Yeah, I tease friends, too, you know.
0: When are you going to have more two-year-olds or more three-year-olds? And uh, I said, you know, I'd, I'd like to be able to put a second and third shift on, but it doesn't work that way.
2: <laughs> yeah, simple answer to that is two or three years, right? <laughs> yep. So, what did you do, uh, and you may have covered this in the last podcast, what did you do prior to this and as you were getting this kicked off, in terms of uh, an Well,
0: Yeah, we might have touched on it. it's, um, uh, my background was a um, m- manufacturing we built Um And it's—I just don't even know how I got in that business, but I found myself in the custom vehicle business, where we had built um, customized vehicles for Ford Motor Company, and had won um, back to back to back to back year after year after year quality awards, first place for Ford Motor Company, and and when we sold that business, I was fifty. And, um, you know, this is something I always wanted to do. So I went back to Michigan State and went to uh, their production tree program and to the master gardener program and kind of got boned up on soils and bugs and disease and, you know, things of that nature. Just uh, and, and then we had 100 acres uh, that we farmed and... My great-grandfather was one of the largest progressive farmers in our family, so I think it might have just ran in my blood, but not many people get a second chance at a completely different career, and um, I just went for it, acted like I knew what I was doing, (laughs) and, (laughs) you know, that's what they say, you got to do what those successful people do, and, Anyways, we had a lot of fun with it. I've very much enjoyed my career so far.
2: Very nice. As, as uh, somebody once told me, you got to fake it till you make it, right? Well, you do.
0: You know, if you look at somebody that's successful, well, you got to do what they do. So, <laughs> you know, I put up the greenhouses. What am I going to do with them? Right. You know, I put up the barn, the irrigation, and, and you know, you just, I just, like you say, um, just did it good for you no no expectations I really did it more to as a hobby I wanted to start out you know just taking care of uh, our acreage and and that just I had friends that I grew plants for and and that became word of mouth and then we started doing a little advertising and the next thing you know it just turned into a full business. It's kind of funny how that happens. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, you definitely have a passion for it. That comes through, and I think that's why one of the reasons you've been so successful. And uh, every, everybody brings that up every time your name comes up. So,
0: <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, I truly like um, to spend time with people. Uh, this time of year, feels like the phone's growing out of my ear and um, it's hard to get hold of me sometimes because I want to make sure I answer people's questions thoroughly, that they have a good understanding of maybe some ideas they hadn't thought of before, or just validate what they were thinking, and probably the most important thing is making sure the plants that are being picked out are the right plants for their shady area or their wet soil or, you know, sandy soil or whatever, so that we have a a good chance of of everything that they do that they're successful with them
3: yeah that's good to hear because a lot of people get intimidated when they want to try to start an orchard or coming up with a plan for different trees they kind of get a little bit nervous and don't want to get on yeah
0: exactly um it's I think it's best to start with a plan. You know, you got to kind of start somewhere. And if you can have somebody give you a little guidance through there, when it's all said and done, it makes sense to you. But, you know, it, it helps if you get some advice from somebody who's been there and done that.
3: So on that note, Charlie, tell us a little bit of a difference between what somebody would get coming to you, as specialty nursery, instead of like a garden center. Well, so a lot
0: of times, unfortunately, we'll get phone calls in April, which is typically when garden centers open up. They've got their all their new stock in because they, they don't grow it. They bring it in. And they're knocking the dust off everything, and uh, they're opening for the season. And when they call us, uh, and, you know, we're looking for this or that. Um, a lot of times we're sold out of it by then. And as a grower, we're on a different time uh, sequence than garden centers. So as a grower, we, we sell the plants in the winter, deliver them in the spring, and then we close the store uh, in the spring so that we can go into production for the crops that year. Now, we keep the shipping department open uh, through the first week of June, but in in a garden center scenario, they're just opening up for business, and, and as a grower, uh, we are sold out of most things, and um, I think I heard that the most, that they didn't realize that the best time to order from from us is, actually, the fall, starting in the fall, we've been taking orders since November, but it gets super busy on the phone in January and February and March. And, so just if it's you have plants that you want to get ordered and it's something you definitely have planned for and you've maybe put it off and you're definitely wanting to do it in the spring, get your order in early. We don't ship them early. We, we keep them at the nursery. We tag them, put people's names on them, take them out of the inventory. So we take care of them and hold them and then ship them when it's the appropriate time in their area. Um I think that's also sometimes how people think. They think, well, if I order it, what am I going to do with them? You know, and, and that's not the case. We take care of them, and then we ship them when you need them. So that's that's a big difference between growers and, and garden centers. Um, the, it's easy to call too late to a grower not thinking, you know, about the differences of the two businesses. Sure.
3: Now, with your uh, success that you've had with your nursery over the years, how do you keep up with
0: adding more and more stock every year for
3: as fast as you've been
0: growing? Well, stock with us, it's simply time and rotation. So um, when we grow seedlings, for instance, we have to grow enough seedlings. Of course, that's dependent on on your crop of acorns or chestnuts or whatever you're using as propagation material. But you have to grow a lot more seedlings than you're going to sell seedlings because the leftovers get potted up into a patented root trap or container and sold as a one-year potted. And then we'll keep it in that bag up to two years. So one- and two-year-olds are in that. But it takes a whole year, you know, to go from a ceiling to a one-year potted, and then, of course, another year to get to a two-year. But you have to have more one-year-olds left uh, over that weren't sold so that you can grow them on for, for the second year. And then, and then your two-year-olds, you have to again have more two-year-olds than you can sell, so you can pot them up into the next size uh, container and end up with th- three-year-olds. So Inventory is something in the nursery business, especially in ours, because it's so specialized in terms of hybrids that we don't have unlimited trees. I can't go to, um, you know, a hospital parking lot in the back where there's a row of red oaks, and I just drag out some kind of a big vacuum equipment and suck them all up. Now i got thousands and thousands of acorns. We, we have to go to certain trees and... Um, a lot of them are too big to pick, um, and so you have to wait for them to hit the ground. But when they're hitting the ground, uh, the wildlife are on them. And so you have to go to those trees morning and night um, wow. to keep keep on trying. And it's, some of these trees are 50 miles away from where our nursery is, and it's it's a lot of work. And some years you have four crops, so you don't have the propagation material that you do. So there's things like that affect our inventory. We, want, you know, we might have a hybrid oak that's always a great seller, um, and uh, you just don't have a crop that year. So what do you do? Now you've lost a year. Or so no seedlings means no one-year-olds the next year too. So it's. Uh, the goal is always to have seedlings one year, two, three year old, but it doesn't, it just never works out. We have um, commercial uh, accounts and um, some of these are grow on nurseries. They'll grow from us to grow them on to an older side, size because they don't have the acorns available or chestnuts available and sometimes they can just clean us right out with an order and... So it's challenging and I keep an inventory rate right on my desk Anybody that calls I have that right handy to you know to check what we have and then we try to keep the website up to date so if you' were reading a catalog and you picked out three or four plants in there that you'd like unfortunately it doesn't give inventories in the catalog and so you're better off to go to look those plants up on the website because uh, it'll say some are out of stock and so on, so you know what's available uh, to order.
3: That's fascinating. So a lot, lot
0: more goes into it than we realize.
3: <laughs> yep,
0: and, uh, you know, it's a lot more stress than people think, too. I've got a little okay. metal sign that um, I've got it up on the fireplace mantel there in the office, and it says grow, damn it. <laughs> and you just have no idea how true that is sometimes when you got so many customers counting on you for their stock. And, of course, you're expecting it all to germinate at normal rates. And you look out there, and it's maybe behind schedule, and you just start sweating bullets. <laughs>
3: well, one more question for you on the nursery versus the garden center. People ask me this all the time. They're like, why can't I just go – to the big box store and get an apple tree and put it in the ground. Can you go into the, explain why that's not a great idea for habitat managers? Oh, you know,
0: well, okay. So um, the main thing is, I guess, is you, you. one of the most important decisions you can make for, let's say, an apple tree, um, other than is it a late drop or a mid-drop or an early drop, is what uh, roots are on that grafted tree. And that's called rootstock. And rootstocks are all over. There's a lot of different kinds of rootstocks that can be used. And some of them grow small trees. And and they are still referred to um, as semi-dwarf because now we have dwarf, which is a real small tree, but we still have a whole bunch of semidor fruit stocks. That's still a small tree. It's just maybe it's a little better suited to a clay soil versus a sandy soil. Whatever the farmer has that's growing them, and so you don't know that. And that's for wildlife tree. You want a big tree. Uh, the bigger the tree, the bigger the canopy. Those trees can produce hundreds more pounds of apples than I small tree can. And so you're kind of flying blind there. And some of those rootstocks are designed to um, retard the growth of the tree to keep it smaller. And how they do it is they intentionally breed a poor root system for the tree. Now this is done on purpose because that poor root system, it it's not efficient at Bringing in nutrients and so on that a bigger root system would be. So just because, just for the fact that it it's a, a lousy root system, um, if not used properly, of course, because um, it works very well for people in the orchard business. But you have to have the right type of soil. It has to be usually a sandy loam in that area. Uh, some of these roots uh, that are in these big box stores. Uh, are a dwarfing type of a semi dwarf and it can be brittle and if you were to put that into clay uh, that root system would try to grow in clay it would push against the clay and it would keep breaking off and so the root system never gets any bigger than what they were when you put it in the hole and it's just it just you know it will live for a while but it's it's not going to make it and so the root systems we use are that build, that grow a big tree, are big, powerful root systems, and when you put them in clay, um, they have the power to push into that and and advance and and grow a nice root system in clay, or the opposite of that, sand. Um, if you're in sandy soil and have a small root system that's keeping the tree small, well, that's a pretty small area to find. Um, nutrients and water so sometimes if you get a drought those trees you can lose them um, due to drought easier than you can say an apple tree that has a huge root system it can it can make it through a drought and so I think that's the biggest shame uh, not saying those trees are bad trees I'm just saying that you don't know what the root system is and typically the reason I say they're usually on the smaller size is a lot of these orchards that grow for orchards, some of these growers that grow for the commercial industry, are using a small root system to keep... They're easier to pick, uh, less labor, you know, increases the profit margin for farmers because they're doing it to make a living. And um, so typically... The leftovers that don't sell out of these places that sell millions of apple trees um, just blow them out to whoever they pot them up and find their way into these big box stores. So you just can't can't know. And as a habitat manager, it would be nice uh, because you're dealing with, okay, here's the west edge and here's the prevailing wind and the tree stand would be great here. And so here's where the apple trees need to be. And you want some flexibility as a habitat manager. This, These trees on the bud 118 and M111 is what we use, will grow in almost any soil except wet. And so it lets the habitat manager get away with murder on where he can
2: place those trees. That's a great point. And, I mean, if you're comparing to the, the big box the apples, like, like Brian mentioned, I mean, those trees are not that cheap, anyways. So you're you may be getting a, a older tree, but how would you compare the price of one of their forty, fifty dollar apple trees that's maybe you know two years old or or whatever to to something you do? I mean, you may feel like you're getting a better deal because it's bigger, but normally you're buying those later in the spring, it's getting close to summertime and they're not quite what you're looking for. Yeah,
0: so the um, you know, the price of our apple trees, one year olds are I think 1750, two year olds 2150, three year olds um 2950. But at the end of the season, that's where the lure is. I mean, I've even bought them. Um, not recently, of course, but, you know, when I was younger, because when they, when they cut the price in half, sometimes they might be 15 or 20 bucks. I mean, that's cheap. Let's go stick them in the ground and, and hope for the best. I've done Uh, that. And there's, there's nothing wrong with doing that. Just nothing. But if you're counting on, um, you know, certain trees doing a certain thing, you know, certain drop times that you. That you want, maybe you want a real late apple tree because you you during muzzleloader season you hunt uh, with a bow. A lot of our customers do that. Well, you want a real late dropping apple tree that's um, uh, close enough to get a shot to, yeah. um, and so you can't you know make any mistakes. And I. I think with the varieties that you see at the big box stores, they tell you about um, the apple tree, the name of the apple tree, and maybe when it ripens, and that's about it. So you don't, unless you're real knowledgeable about a- apple varieties, you might be picking an apple tree thinking you want it in this bow stand area for over season, and uh, you find out the apples are dropping because we don't, we go by drop times, not ripening dates. The two don't relate at all to each other. You can have a, a mid-ripening apple that doesn't drop their apples on the ground till late, and and the versa, vice versa, a late-ripening apple that uh, dr- drops them earlier than you would think. And you know, for the time that they give you on there, so you could end up having a tree that's shedding its apples in July. <laughs> Well, that plan didn't work out too good. <laughs> so, you know, we've got, we go by the drop times, we put in the literature and that, the drop times, and we can help people pick the right varieties for what their strategies are. Um, but, um, okay. again, I guess the, there's nothing wrong with buying some of those closeouts. You got some extra room someplace and you really don't. Kind of care if they make it or not. I mean, you want them to make it, but it's not a sure bet. Most of those are in black pots. In fact, every one at every store I've ever seen are black pots. They're usually sitting on concrete or blacktop where they're stored. And you get a west sun, and of course, in the summer, it's, you know, you have a lot longer sunlight coming from the west side and that's the hottest sun and it'll bake the west side of those pots you know the sun will heat them that side up that west side and and usually if you pull your tree out of them and look at the roots now I'd always do that because a lot of times you'll find that the roots that were facing um, west got the sun from the west on that black pot pot a lot of them are cooked out. They're, they're not good. It's not good plant material.
2: Wow. Yeah, that's uh, that's super interesting. Um, I never thought about that. I know they probably try to water them at least once a day or twice a day out there, but that, that's a good point. Yeah. You, you kind of yeah. did a perfect segue into our our next subject here. You, know, you, you mentioned if you have some discounted trees and you got time, and you don't really, you know, it, you, the time is very important. Um, you and I had talked on the phone uh, the other day not to get ahead of yourself, right? And can you explain what you've maybe heard from a customer or two in the past, or even yourself, how you someone could get ahead of themselves when um, making an orchard, and maybe what your 10-year plan, as you referenced it, was, was meant to be? Yeah,
0: so... Um, you know, my I, I try to. I guess I have a little different approach uh, when I give advice. Um, so you have to, whatever your property is, whatever size it is. I think it's important to envision the ending first. So stand in there, maybe with your dog, and a nice sunny day. Maybe have a beer. And you're just kind of contemplating on, you know, what's this? What's my hopes and my dreams for this property? And I think it's important to what do you see five years from now or ten years from now when it's done. I mean, if you could imagine the best property with the nicest stuff uh, all planted the way you kind of envision having a piece of property, what's it look like? And then, then from there, break it down into. Uh, you know, sometimes they're large properties, and there's it's a big project, and it's a lot of money. And so, what's the budget? You know, you might be able to come up with ten percent of the. You know, you might have money for ten percent of that project um, every year, and so it's probably going to take you ten years. So let's, where do you start? Well, you know, I, I. Going to mention some of this stuff here later, uh, but um, I I think it's important to start with um, the most important plants first. So you know we we grow maybe hundred different plants, and some uh, create screening, and some you know create browse and food, and some are hard mass, some are soft mass, some are conifers, and and they all have different roles and. And, you know, some plants for wet areas and dry areas. and But, again, where do you start? So, uh, you know, my top six, and we say it all the time, say it every day on the phone to customers, and this is not in any particular order. I think they're all you know, the same in terms of high value to wildlife, are apple trees, crab apple trees, pear trees, uh, white oaks, chestnuts, and persimmons. Some of these plants can't be planted everywhere in the country. There are some limitations how far north you can go, say, with chestnuts or persimmons, but we, we do have some very cold-hardy chestnut persimmon that will go further north than you might expect them to. But let's start with those. They have the biggest impact. You know, the deer are going to be um, attracted to the food that they make. Um, in fact, they make I'm sure mental notes of where everything is, um, and they have an idea of what they're interested in and in eating. And when those food sources, whether they're hard master, soft master, dropping, they're on them. And so that's where I would start. And then the old saying, "How to eat an elephant?" You know, it's one bite at that's a bite time. time. You start with. Yeah, you know, I, I get a lot of customers that will buy a bunch of plants. Maybe some of the buddies that were going to help plant them didn't come around, or didn't realize how much work was involved, and and um, <laughs> and it ends up you get all work. I hear you laughing because everybody's <laughs> <has> done that. <laughs> oh, really? So it's um, better, I think, to kind of take your time with it, buy fewer plants. Yeah, I said less plants. Um, you know they're. Uh, you're better to do it right the first time. And I I also spend a fair amount of time with people telling them I'm going to try to give them enough education so that they buy their second tree the first time. Because we all go out to the, well, the big box stores, we'll use that we were talking about it, throw them in the ground and all that, and then a year or two later they have nothing to show for it, and they go, well, I didn't. I guess I better rethink that and let's do, do it differently, you know. They got rubbed because they didn't fence them or, or they put them too much in the shade or, or whatever. And um, so just uh, plan it out. Now, the nice thing about our trees being containerized is as a bare root plant, those trees are usually harvested in the fall. And then they're brought into barns and counted and graded and put in bundles. And typically it's, by the time that's done, it's December and there's snow. And they don't really ship them anywhere in the north um, um, after they've got them graded out. So they, they put them in big storage buildings that are refrigerated and They spray their roots a couple times a week to keep them moist. But they are in that storage facility for about five months before they start shipping out to us in the spring. And, um, you know, so they're in transplant shock to begin with. They were dug up. Now they're in storage shock. And they send them with a note for you to hurry up and plant them, which, you know, kind of gripes me a little bit because... I mean, they've been out of the ground for five months, what's a hurry?
3: Um,
0: but you, you do, you have to get them in the ground as soon as you can, it's been something that has been done, that type of planting, for hundreds of years, and some very successful and some not so very successful, but you got to get them in the ground. Potted plants are shipped with the soil and everything they've grown in, so you get out there and you got these 50 trees and you're sure you can knock this out in a weekend and and you, so you're out there and you're doing all the steps we advise you to do. And you look back and there's still 30 left. It's, you need to. Be, and you, you realize that, hey, did I get over my head here time-wise? Well, with a potted plant, just don't worry about it. Um, water the container once a week. Plant as many as you can per week. And you, those can be planted clear into July if, if you had to. So there's not the pressure on you um and that's my advice just don't bite off more than you can chew if it is a big project think about you know the time that you have and the money that you have to spend and just try to break it down into manageable um oh enjoyable um uh, you know times that uh uh, that you're going to plant you don't have to burn yourself out. We don't want you to do that. And a lot of times, too, as we know, the first one, man, it gets a mix of peat and topsoil or cow manure and <laughs> compost, and and you know, and and by the end of the day, you you stick the shovel on the ground, jam the tree, and old stop on it, and man, I'm <laughs> done with that. You know,
2: so oh, just man.
0: don't wear yourself out.
2: Yeah, it, Brian, you were laughing there for a minute. You care to explain the giggle?
3: Oh, several reasons. I mean, just
2: just getting in over your
3: head, biting off more than you can chew, and a particular one he mentioned about buddies showing up, everybody's coming, but you know when the day comes, it's oh, I got this to do, I got that to do.
2: Yep. <laughs> yep, I hear you there. Plus, I mean, more of the work is honestly in protecting the tree than it is the planet. And, That's the uh, truth, yeah. You know. Even cost, too. So, you, know, you might buy, you know, 20 trees for a couple hundred bucks and you get out there. I, I left some trees uncaged last year for four days, figuring, I, I ran out of fencing, I'm like, I'll be back in four days. And there were more were trees and uh, they're alive still, but they got eaten up pretty bad. And it's just like, man, not even four days in the middle of, you know, May. You know,
0: Jared, What? so because of that, one of the things I've done and do now when I plant is first thing I do is I go flag where the trees are going to go. I'll spray with Roundup, you know, to make sure I get a good kill on stuff. And then I'll cut up my fences. I use them at 10-foot lengths, and I cut up my stakes so I've got five footer electrical conduit and um I don't dig the hole ahead of time um I found that a lot of that soil settles in and around and you go to put it all back in and you got all the soil out of the hole and you put it all in the hole and yet there's still a hole there
2: oh wow. I don't know why
0: that is um so um So, if you have all that done ahead of time, then when the plants come, now you're talking about, you know, just getting the plant plant planted at the right height and watering it in good and you got the fence there and slip over and a couple stakes and put it in place and and you have a little system going. And, um, because deer are really curious and, you know, I remember one night I was planting this when I was a little younger, um... And I had probably a quarter of a mile of white spruce I was planting. And so this is getting towards the dark, and I'm saying to myself, if a boss worked me this hard, I would quit. And I was having so much fun, it was ridiculous, you know. But I looked down this row of conifers, and it's starting to get, you know, some shadows are starting to develop. It's getting a little darker. And I looked down there, and there's a... Uh, uh, doe and a couple of her little ones next to her, looking down at the very first ones I started planting. And um, and so that's when they're the most vulnerable is the first couple of days because they see it, they're curious, they come on over and they go, hey, this is food. So I, I cage them as I plant them. And so that's worked for me. Good idea.
3: Yeah, I've often thought like a great winter project would be sit in the garage or the barn and just build cages for the trees a couple of days here and there and just to get ahead of it. But something always comes up. I'm going to have to work on that a little better.
0: <laughs> right.
3: So we got a question from our friend Al. He has a half acre that he wants to, uh, put some different kind of trees in. What what would you plant if you had an empty half acre that you wanted to have a nice variety
0: of trees? Yeah, so when I look at a small patch of ground like that, so, you know, there's a couple things you could do. You could put in fruit trees. You could put in um, a food plot. You know, you could maybe put in um, maybe some chestnuts or something like that. Uh, It's hard on small acreage like that uh, to get too much of a mix of trees because you know apple trees and chestnut trees and oak trees are different sizes and if you're not careful you know in the beginning they all get along with each other and they're having acorns and chestnuts and apples but eventually if you let's say you planted some oaks on the east or west side of that little patch they're going to be an enormous tree one day and completely shade that little half acre out and you won't have any fruit on your apple trees because of that and, and just because you don't have the room. And so I would look at it as this is a small little plot. How do I maximize or utilize this footprint to the maximum? So it becomes more of a how can I max it out more than – Almost more than what I'm putting in there. And, I mean, they go hand in hand, of course. So um, so let's say we put in fruit trees. They don't get that big. Plus, we can prune them if we have to and keep them a certain size. So so now you got a half acre, acre let's say, of crab apples and apples and pears in there. They're all going to get along just fine. What else can we do? So, well, there's the ground. So what do we do with the ground? And so you don't want to put anything in there that's going to compete with the nutrients that your trees are going to get. So I dis- I've come uh, to use uh, clover quite a bit in these situations because clover is nitrogen-fixing. It, it, um, it doesn't take nitrogen from the trees that are in there. Typically grasses and weeds and so on are big competition to a Woody's class plant, and it stunts the growth and the performance of those trees if you have a real weedy orchard, for instance. And that's why if you go to orchards, you'll see all underneath the trees, it's all killed out and uh, uh, weed-free. So, so we'll plant it in clover, all right? So now that half acre is a clover plot got some apple trees and pear trees and crab apples growing on it. What else? Okay, we have the bordering left. What can we put on the edges? Well, we don't want what we put on the edges to be too big. Again, we don't want it to shade our fruit plot or our fruit trees. So bushes, what kind of bushes can we put in here? And so there's a variety of bushes that produce fruit. Um, they even have little oak trees. Uh, we use a dwarf chinkapin oak, one of my favorite oaks. They grow more as a bush. They're never going to get tall enough to shade out the plot or the fruit trees, and yet it's going to produce white oak acorns, which are prized uh, as much as apples and pears and crab apples. It's a real,
1: real desired
0: food source. And then we have, we have another oak called... Um, uh, English fastigate, and it grows columnar. And urban foresters really like that tree because it doesn't get up into the street lights and, you know, now you got a dark spot on the corner and doesn't get into the power lines and so on. Well, how that benefits us in habitat, we can plant some of those around an orchard too because the shadow they cast is more like a telephone pole than it is a big shady tree. And so if you get creative with some shrubs and some different kinds of trees, um, you can have a hedger all the way around it, which is good, too, because screening, um, if deer can't see what's going on in the plot, especially bucks, it makes them move. And that's, you know, that's what the rut does. They're moving during times that they normally don't move. Well, if a buck can't see into that food plot, they're going to, Try to circle downwind and try to scent what's in there or go, go actually through the border, stick their head into there and see what's going on. And you've got a moving, so um, it can help you in your tree stand placement. Um, downwind is usually the best spot in the, them areas. So when you're done, here you've got a lot of food being produced in a small footprint.
3: Yeah, I think Al's going to like that answer. And you got the wheels turning, Charlie. I I picked up a uh, new lease this year, and I've got some areas that I can put some food plots and do some other things.
0: Definitely got the wheels turning with those ideas. Yeah, you got it all going on. You can
2: really maximize
0: it if you're thinking a little bit.
2: Now, Charlie, with uh – it, with that half acre there, you mentioned clover as it you know it's a, it helps build nitrogen in the soil. Are there any other types of food plot plants that or, or varieties that we should consider within a a soft mass uh, half acre, if you will, besides clover, uh, that wouldn't rob the trees of nutrients? Maybe you want some more variety or. Yes, so um,
0: probably the only other thing I'd think about, and you might, you know, do the plot maybe half and half, is I know brassicas, they're more of a tuber kind of thing. The roots really don't spread uh, like your weeds and grass. It doesn't get in next to the tree and steal nutrients from the tree. So I would think... um, you know, if you had a small acreage like that, a small footprint, and especially if you're if uh, you're a late season uh, bow hunter and maybe muzzleloader hunter, and you know, brassicas can be very hot as a winter food source. We planted them, uh, and I put them down through the rows of our apple orchard one uh, one year. But I we had done an, another. Like plot, and for two years they didn't really touch the brassicas, and but we have none. None of the farmers grow that down here. We're in Lower Michigan, and but once they learned that was food, um, yeah, I remember a couple of winters where you'd watch the turkeys out there disappear right into a hole <laughs> where the <they're> deer <laughs> dug down to get to them, and it, and it was hot, so we we put some down the. Um, rows, just seeing if we can't catch a mature buck late that's looking to put on a little weight, you know. Um,
2: Very nice. And so I I think that would be
0: acceptable.
2: Now, do you normally um, put a food plot and a soft mast or hard mast tree in the same half acre? Is that normal?
0: I don't think it is. I think most people will do a food plot um, I know a number of our customers that have talked to me do that method. They'll put, you know, some, some crab apples and pears and apples sometimes as bordering shrubs or bordering trees, and then they'll leave their field wide open. But then I have other customers that split their fields up, you know, quarter them or whatever they're going to do, and put in um, a soft mass, but then with it put in some bushes some shrubs, so it breaks breaks up that food plot to where you can't see the all four sections. You, right. you know, you don't you don't know what's on the other side. So, a lot of these ideas, you know, I don't want to take credit for this. Um, many of these ideas have come from probably your listeners. Um, and I've learned a lot from our customers. No, that
2: so, that um, all makes sense. Happy to share. it. Yeah. No, thank you. And. And I'm thinking, I have a little bit of both. I, th- I like the idea of the clover and brassicas keeping the competition of the grasses or, or weeds or anything else not, you know, crawling up the sides of the cages. But at the same time, if you're going to spray an herbicide or something else, you want to be far away from your fruit trees. So I can see how there could be a pro and con to each. Yep.
0: Now, now with things like Roundup, uh, Michigan State is um, oh, there's some suggestion that there's that Roundup can damage fruit trees if it's sprayed on the tree. Um, I'm talking about the bark, not the leaves. So any herbicide drift, you have to be careful that you can adjust it with droplet size. If it's if it's a little windy and you have it set to a mist, um, you know. Boy, that stuff can drift a long way. You don't realize right. it. But um, but I have a tractor, and I have a big sprayer on the back of it, and I'll drive down the rows, and I spray, and um, I try not to get any on the trees, but sometimes a branch is hitting a tractor, and I'm more paying attention, that I don't get smacked in the head, because they, the tractor bends them and puts a pretty good load on them when they hit me right in the forehead <laughs> and I'm not paying attention and I know dang good well I've sprayed them trees and I have never seen any damage on my apple trees
2: so I think it's a relatively safe thing to use okay yeah like you said I, I wouldn't go spraying them on the leaves i definitely wash your wind but yeah if you can yeah. adjust the drip on it like you said and uh, control that yeah. a little more that's a that's a good idea Yep. Harley, I had a question about uh, some
3: of the trees I got off of you this past year. i got True, a bunch right? of tea prepares and Chinese chestnuts. And i, I got to tell our listeners, I've never seen such a beautifully packaged box for shipping anything, let alone trees. I mean, you put a lot of time and thought into those packages to keep everything healthy.
0: <laughs> Thank you.
3: Um, I, I took your advice. i Got them all planted properly, got them mulched, got them caged, put screens around the bottom to keep the mice and the rabbits off of it. This past year, it's just rained so much in my farm. I couldn't yep. keep up with it. And uh, I'm just wondering if you have any tips for years like that when it just gets overwhelming with the growth
0: and how it rains. So, you know, it's one of those things. My blueberry patch... Um, that I'm real proud of. I love blueberries. It weedy weed wise, it got out of control for me too. Because as soon as you got the cool season weeds under control, the warm season weed seeds started germinating. Right. And normally, I've just used a non-selective um, for my weed control. But there are um, pre-emergence that can be mixed um, with uh, things like Roundup. And uh, you, you just want to talk to your local garden center or, I don't know, if there are Farm Bureau stores. We have quite a few of them in Michigan. And they have a pretty good, well, like we're a farmer, a granary would maybe go and get some of their um, herbicides and pre-emergent but but that's really, um, you know, it's another expense. And and when you have good success year after year after year, you kind of get to where you say, well, I don't need a pre-emergent. You know, I've got this pretty much under control. So you can still make the wrong decision. But if to do it, um, if you mix that with your uh, non-selective, then at least we'll get a, a good kill on the uh, Spring stuff, uh, anything that's already started, anything that hasn't germinated in there yet, seeds the pre-emergent will keep them from germinating, and mm-hmm. then it will affect your warm season uh, seed uh, weed mm-hmm. hatching, I guess, of um, or germination of that seed, and um, so I think that's probably best practice if you want to come in and. Try to get it done once and and um, not have that happen to you.
2: that is a great tip that is a great tip. I would have never thought about that um, well like your like it's your
0: home um, Jared, you know there's there's better I think than preen but preen is really used by homeowners the most. Yeah. And so you if you have mulch around your flower beds and so on and you're out there fertilizing with Miracle Grow or whatever, you know, people have their favorites and that for their houseplants. But I always um get the preen out and I um sprinkle it around and and um I just
2: don't have any weeds. Good thought, man. That light bulb just went off. I well, use it at
3: home all the time. I never thought
2: to use it up there around the tree. That's great. So, Charlie, we've uh, had you about an hour here, and another awesome podcast full of information. I like to wrap these up with uh, a question I've been asking lately, and that is uh, about your favorite type of tree. And I don't care if it's for habitat for sit on your porch and and staring at or, or whatever. I'm just curious on what your favorite type of tree is and why. Now, this is going to be a wow. good question for you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you have yeah, hundreds So hundreds to choose from.
0: Well, there is. And I guess just like there's no one right answer, um, there's a lot of right answers when it comes to trees. <laughs>
2: How about that for a dollar? Okay, all right. Put it this way. Okay, put it this way. If the if uh if your neighbors prescribed fire got out of hand that it was coming right oh. at you and you had to run out there and with a a hose and stand by one tree to keep it from burning, what would you do? <laughs> and that's well, bad, that money. That's a that bad money example tree, of course. Kill yourself.
3: <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah, no,
0: okay. I I that's just uh, tough. That's tough.
2: Is that like because asking you what your favorite child is? Is that like a similar question?
0: Well, so like when I talked about the top six plants. Yeah. And I said they're not in any one order. Well, I like them all for certain reasons and for certain scenarios. I like it. Um
1: you know, it's a
0: soft-mass tree. Now, it's tough to beat a soft-mass tree, um, but, you know, when there's a bumper crop on white oak uh, oaks and they're dropping lots of acorns, I watch deer walk right through an apple orchard over to those acorns.
2: Right. I mean, they are on them.
0: Um, and, but then if you watch long enough, they I've seen them walk through those oaks over to the orchard. So it's it's really, it's hard to pin me down on one tree. I I guess my, uh, for one tree would be just to try to be as diverse in your, and, you know, how many bangs for the buck does that one plant give you? How successful is it? So I don't think I'd pick a white oak. Now, hybrid white oaks can be different, especially when they're, um, cross with English oak because English oak is the world's most dependable acorn-producing white oak. Uh, the farmers in Europe depend on them to finish their pigs every year with them. So, I mean, our white oaks can't do that. They just can't. So what, what's the most dependable? What, what's going to hit every year for us uh, that we can count on? And, and so some are, are maybe, you know, better than others, but they all – have certain scenarios where they don't produce. Late frost on apple trees killing the blossoms, you know, is a one. And, uh, well, you know, that happens here in cold climate. So, it again, it g- comes back to, um, well, I'd probably want to try to get a little diversity in there if I could, um, just in case it's a bad year for an oak or if it's a bad year for soft mass, you know. There's lots of things to think about. You know, you want plants typically that have varied flower times so they don't all get wiped out with one frost. Uh, You can't do that with one tree. Um, Diversity, you hear people talk about, especially habitat people, that's the most important thing to wildlife. How do you get diversity with one tree? Um, Now, I could tell you this. My favorite... If I had to really do it, is I would like, it have to be a self-pollinating late drop apple tree planted on the west edge of your property. Um, The west edge of your property is where the early shadows develop. And so you're more likely to see something a little more mature, mature come out into them shadows. Uh, with enough light to see your pin and get a shot, and the apple tree would help him get there sooner. So yeah. one piece of property with one apple tree on a west side, you'd see my name on a tree stand over there somewhere.
2: Bingo. There it is. Thanks, Charlie. There <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> you got me. All that, and now I'm coming to think of it. All my apple trees are more towards the center or towards the east side, so I, I screwed up. Dang it. <laughs> hey, we
0: might get lucky to get an order this year then.
2: Yeah, oh, you're getting oh, get an order, yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. Well, I, I want to be respectful of your time, and I thank you for, for coming on. I think we covered a lot of good things here, and there will be some more information from Charlie to come, guys. Uh, Charlie has... Uh, Signed on to support the Habitat podcast. We're going to be doing some informational uh, excerpts, if you will, about different trees and shrubs coming up. So, you, this won't be the end of uh, hearing from Charlie. But Charlie, I want to, you know, thank you for coming on tonight. And is there anything else that you want to cover uh, while we have you right now?
0: No. Uh, like I said, I'll make myself available to you when when you have a spot for me.
2: It's an hour is a good
0: time to to button it up I think
2: yeah and I mean guys if you want to call Charlie give him a call he is literally the one who answers the phone every time I call so uh, it's uh, it's pretty cool it's pretty cool business you have yeah, I appreciate it here.